0: Well, good evening. Good to see you here this evening. So glad that you could be with us in this service. Take your Bible and turn with me, if you would, to Daniel chapter number 2. Thank you, Michael, for fighting through that and leading us in that song. I know it was difficult for you physically. (coughs) Daniel chapter 2, we're going to begin reading... In verse number 31 in a moment. In our last message on Daniel, we looked at how to face the impossible. We were introduced to the fact that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream. In that message, we ended as Daniel was taken into the presence of the king and he told the king, yes, I can tell you what your dream was and what it means. So in this message, we're going to Take a look at that dream and its interpretation. Daniel gives his readers an outline picture of human history from 600 years before Christ, stretching forward all the way to the second coming of Christ. This outline of human history is not a preview of all nations. It's not of all people, all the events of history. It is a preview of history as it relates to Israel. First of all, I want you to look with me as we see the dream revealed. And the the statue is described. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was of gold, its chest and arms in silver, its belly and thighs of bronze and its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partially of baked clay. When King Nebuchadnezzar called his wise men, his magi, his magicians, into his presence to get advice about the dream, they said, well, you tell us what you dreamed and we'll interpret it. And the king said, no, we're not gonna do it that way. You tell me what I dreamed And then you can interpret it. Uh, As we look at this passage, we see that, first of all, Daniel reveals Nebuchadnezzar's dream without one word of interpretation. So in the first two verses, three verses here, he tells us what the dream was, but he doesn't interpret it. The king had demanded two things of his wise men. He had demanded that they give him what the dream was. And then if they could do that, he would allow them to give them the meaning of the dream. And that's pretty smart if you actually stop to think about it. If I tell you, well, I dreamed this, you can say, well, this is is what that means. And nobody knows whether that's true or not. But since Daniel was able to tell the king, what he saw was an enormous statue of a man made up of four parts, a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, and legs of iron with feet, feet of iron mixed with clay. So... We see it described, first of all, and secondly, we see the statue as it's destroyed. He says, and while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, and the bronze, and the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. So suddenly a rock is cut out without any human action. And it struck the statue on its feet. And the whole statue crumbled into pieces so small that the wind blew it away like chaff. The rock grew into a mountain that filled the whole earth. As Donald Campbell writes, the vision began with a great statue filling the stage, and it ends with a great stone filling the whole earth. Try, if you can, to imagine what Nebuchadnezzar may have been feeling as Daniel gave him a perfect description of everything that he had dreamed. He realizes this young man, who is either in his late teens or early 20s at this point, has an amazing gift. But what does the dream mean? Well, he's not left to wonder because beginning in verse number thirty-six, Daniel tells him what it all means. He begins to interpret the dream for him. And we see, first of all, the explanation of the statue that looked like a man, that this was the kingdom of the Gentiles. Verse thirty six says, And this was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. And in your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live he has made your ruler over them. You are the head of gold. Well, Nebuchadnezzar may have been feeling pretty good about himself at this point. Uh, wow, I'm, I'm the head of gold. But Daniel goes on in verse 39 to tell him first that what he has, what he has power over what authority has has been given to him by the God of heaven and secondly he tells him that his kingdom will not last verse 39 he says after you another kingdom will rise inferior to yours next a third kingdom one of bronze will rule over the whole earth finally there will be a fourth kingdom strong as iron for iron breaks and smashes everything And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw the feet and toes were baked of partially of baked clay and partially of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. And as the toes were partially iron and partially clay, so this kingdom will be partially strong and partially brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. We have before us, this statue represents the history of world empires. When it was written 2,600 years ago, it was prophecy. But today, of course, it's history. But that's what prophecy is, history in reverse. When it comes to world history, Jesus observed that there was going to be a long time of Gentile control over the nation of Israel. In Luke chapter 21 and verse 24, he said, and they will fall by the sword and they will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And actually the time of the Gentiles then began with the Babylonian captivity. And it continued on through the Roman Empire and didn't really end <clears throat> until 1967 when once again the Jews established Jerusalem as their capital city. On your outline you have a representation of what this statue looked like and what each section of the statue represented. I do want you to note that the metals that make up the statue Increase in strength, gold to iron, soft metal to hard metal, but diminish in value. So the first kingdom is the kingdom of Babylon, 605 to 539 B.C. We see that in verse 32 and verse 38. Verse 32 says the head of the statue was made of pure gold. And then in verse 38 it says, and you are the head of gold. That's the Babylonian empire. It represents Nebuchadnezzar. He was pleased to hear that. Why gold? Why pick that particular metal? Well, the Greek historian Herodias who visited the city of Babylon some 90 years later said that the city of Babylon literally dripped with gold. It is no accident that in chapter three we are gonna see Nebuchadnezzar build a great giant statue made of gold. There can be little doubt that Nebuchadnezzar was thinking of, that, of his dream when he had that statue built. But if he thought his kingdom would last forever, Daniel has already burst his bubble. The second is the silver, the Medo-Persian Empire, 539 to 331 B.C. Verse 32 says its chest and arms of silver. and Verse 39 says after you another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. There was a dual empire that worked together to defeat Babylon. Interestingly enough, if you want to understand who the Medes and Persians are today, the Kurds of the Middle East are the present-day Medes, and the Iranians are the present-day Persians. Why do they use silver here? Well, silver became the prominent coinage in ancient Persia. In 539, Cyrus the Great conquered the Babylonians at the Tigris River, just outside modern Baghdad. This happened while Daniel was still alive. This kingdom lasted almost 200 years. King Masuerus, who we talked about in the book of Esther, uh, lived during this time. And later King Artaxerxes was king when the book of Nehemiah was written. The third medal, or the third part of the statue represented the Greek empire from 331 to 146 BC. Says its belly and thighs of bronze, a third kingdom made one of bronze will rule over the whole earth. Well, the bronze represents the amazing kingdom that is established by Alexander the Great. He conquered the whole known world and then it said he wept when there were no more kingdoms to conquer. Why bronze? Well, the Greek armies used bronze or brass, helmets, and shields. The influence of this age of Greek culture is still among us. Uh, Aristotle, Socrates, Plato all lived during those days. But why two thighs? Alexander left his empire to his four generals, but only two of them became powerful and they established the empire of Syria and the empire of Egypt. In fact, it is the Ptolemy dynasty which Cleopatra will come out of. There is the fourth section, that is the iron. This is the Roman empire, 146 BC to 400 AD. It says in verse 33, Its legs of iron, its feet partially of iron and partially of baked clay. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom. Strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. As the iron breaks to pieces, so it will crush and break all others. The the iron legs represent the great Roman Empire. Only one verse is is dedicated to all the other kingdoms. But this iron kingdom uh, receives much more attention. Although the power of Rome was great uh, even 200 years before this, many scholars say that when Rome won the Battle of, of Carthage in 146, that it actually became a true world power. For over 500 years, they ruled the Western world. The Roman legions, soldiers, were a thing to be feared. They were known to land their boats on the shore, and burn their boats to indicate that they were going to win the battle or die trying. This caused many lands to simply surrender before the battle even began. But the Romans were also great builders. They constructed a highway and an aqueduct system that defies description. Let me try to give you a, a sense of that. They built 52,000 Miles of roads, most of them paved. To give you a point of reference, there are 46,000 miles of interstate highways in America today. Rome built more highways than we have. The image has two legs, which most see this as a division between the eastern part of the kingdom and the western part of the kingdom. The eastern part became centered in Istanbul. Uh, the old city of Constantinople, and it produced what was called the Byzantine culture. The western part of the Roman Empire remained centered in Rome. It's hard to date the end of the Roman Empire because unlike the other kingdoms, no other world kingdom ever took its place. It crumbled not from outside, but from within. That's why we see the unusual feat of the image in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The feet were iron and clay, which means they were a mixture of the Roman Empire with another divided kingdom. As we look at this prophecy that Daniel has written, it is so precise that it is amazing. So much so that the book of Daniel, like the rest of the Bible, has come under fire from liberal theologians who said it's impossible. Early in the 20th century, liberal theologians said Daniel did not write this book about 600 years before Jesus. Instead, it was written about 100 years before Jesus by a Maccabean scribe who took the name Daniel. And that is what is taught in many seminaries throughout our outer land. You know why they say that? Because they cannot really come to the place that they believe that prophecies that accurately could be written that far ahead of time and so they believe that it was written after that the romans had already come into power and that helped everybody to understand it but i believe this was written by daniel himself and so did jesus matthew chapter 24 and verse 15 jesus said that which was written by the prophet daniel another reason we know that the the liberal theologians are wrong, is in 1948 when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. They discovered a portion of the book of Daniel which was da- found and dated long before the first century. We can confidently then ass- affirm that the four kingdoms that Daniel predicted have indeed risen and fallen. The fifth and final is the revived Roman Empire. We can't date it because it hasn't happened yet. It says in verse 41, just as you saw that the feet and toes were partially of baked clay and partially of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partially iron and partially clay, so this kingdom will be partially strong and partially brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with break clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. So this fourth kingdom, the revived form of the Roman Empire, has not yet arrived on the scene of history. From our vantage point, verses 27 through 40 are history, and verses 41 through 45 are prophecy. But don't forget when they were written, They were all prophecy. The feet represent what the book of Revelation describes as a ten-nation confederacy that will come to power under the Antichrist during the seven-year tribulation after Jesus comes to call his bride home in the book of Revelation. It will be a federation of nations that resembles the old Roman Empire. There have been many attempts down down through history to reclaim the power of the Roman Empire. Charlemagne briefly revived it in the ninth century when Pope Leo IV crowned him as the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Then Louis XIV claimed that he was the king of the restored Roman Empire. And then Napoleon in the 19th century declared that he wanted to revive the Roman Empire. And Mussolini, the Italian dictator during World War II said, I believe in the resurrection of the Roman Empire. All of them failed. So what's happening now and what can we expect to see out of this? The nations of Western Europe are acting more and more like states of one superpower rather than sovereign nations. If you watch your history, you'll see An economic partnership of several European nations was formed in 1957 based on the Treaty of Rome. Today, 13 European nations hold membership in the European Economic Community. It's composed of the inner six founding members and the seven outer members, and it's better known by the name European Common Market. Today, European Union the European Union has a president and a military although the members can the member states can veto any commitment to military action but here's something i find a little frightening the economic <clears throat> the european common market parliament can make laws that supersede the laws of its member states it's court has jurisdiction over EU citizens, it legislates and regulates on matters such as commerce, trade, education, and environment. Its citizens in Europe have a common passport and it has a uniform currency, the Euro. The common market may continue and be the preliminary form of the coming federated European government of which the Unichrist will come, or it may pass away and be replaced by something similar. So this image in Nebuchadnezzar's dream is still standing. It's still standing because we're living in the time of man's kingdom. But there was more to this dream. The vision that began with a great statue filling a stage closes with a great stone filling the whole earth. There was a stone, a rock, that was cut out of a mountain without human hands. And the rock came hurtling through space toward the feet of the statue and demolished it. It became dust and it was blown away. And that's what that was about. Jesus identifies himself as the rock. In Luke chapter 20, Jesus told the parable of the son of the vineyard owner whom the tenants rejected and killed. And then he quoted Psalm 118, which says the stone that the builders rejected had become the capstone. And he added, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken, but but on whom he falls, he will be crushed. The last words that Jesus uses in that passage is a direct quote from Daniel chapter 2, Verses 44 and 45. So what does it mean when Daniel says that a rock is cut out of the mountain but not by human hands? It means that this rock was not the product of any human being, not the child of the union of a man and a woman. This rock, Jesus, was designed and produced by the hand of God. He is the rock that the Jewish people have previously Rejected. <clears throat> it is said that <clears throat> when Solomon's temple was being built, they used a remote quarry so that the sound of the hammers striking the stone could not be heard where the temple was going to be built. So these huge stones were designed and formed and then transported to the temple construction site. Jewish history tells us that an unusually shaped stone arrived at the construction site and the chief builder didn't recognize it. So he dumped it out in the field. And later, when he began to start stacking the stones, he asked the quarry master, where is the cornerstone? And when was it coming? The quarry stone said, I sent you the stone months ago, the stone that had been thrown away, that had been rejected, was the cornerstone or the capstone. That's why Peter said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 11, he is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone or cornerstone. He goes on to say salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. Sadly, today many people cast Jesus aside because... They don't recognize him. The dream is of a mighty multi-metallic statue. And then a rock comes and demolishes that statue. What does it mean? Well, the explanation of a rock that was made, not made by man is a description of the kingdom of God and it begins to tell us about it in verse 44. He said, in those days... Uh, of these kings the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of mountain without hands and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. The rock that is cut out of the mountain but not by human hands is the kingdom of God. Daniel chapter 2 teaches us very clearly that one thing is certain. The kingdoms of this world are passing away but the kingdom of Christ is this world's only eternal hope. Two things to note about this kingdom. First of all, Jesus' present kingdom is spiritual. Before Jesus, John the Baptist preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when Jesus came, that kingdom was established. Now, some people notice that Jesus said in Luke chapter 17 and verse 21, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. That means what the King James Version says, but the preposition really means among you because he was speaking these words to a Pharisee, an unbeliever. And then he went on to announce his second coming. When Jesus was on the earth, the kingdom of God was real because the only thing that you need for the king, for a kingdom is the king and Jesus is the king. Jesus becomes your personal king and you are his faithful subject then you become a part of the kingdom of God Matthew 6:33 says seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness Why didn't Jesus say seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness Because the kingdom of God is a person Jesus is the king Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Even the night before Jesus was crucified, he notified his disciples that there would be a future kingdom. Mark chapter 14, verse 25, he says, I tell you the truth. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of God. Of God, Jesus present kingdom is spiritual, but Jesus' future kingdom is literal. you can't ignore the fact that the Bible teaches that Jesus will establish a future kingdom and that it will be a literal kingdom. when Jesus comes the second time, it will be the Mount of Olives, according to zechariah fourteen four and when he will utterly destroy in a moment the Gentile armies that are assembled there and then shortly thereafter he will establish his millennial kingdom Revelation chapter 20 that's what this dream is all about Jesus is the rock that will one day demolish all the kingdoms of mankind and he will establish his very own kingdom here on planet earth the kingdoms of men are replaced with the kingdom of God now let's look a little bit further at that rock When the stone hits the statue, it doesn't hit its head, it doesn't hit its chest, its thighs, its leg. It strikes the feet and toes of the iron mixed with clay. I believe this means the stone which represents Christ comes back to earth establishing his kingdom and in the process he will smash the governments of mankind who have allied themselves together In the last days, under the leadership of the person the Bible calls the Antichrist. The key thing to note at this point is when Christ returns, all earthly empires will be totally destroyed. Remember, in the dream, not only did the stone smash the statue, but it caused it to be crushed into pieces and blown away like chaff by the wind. Christ's coming will bring an end to everything Built by the hand of man. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the rock demolished the ten toes and the entire image. That's exactly what the Apostle John says in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 17. He writes, The ten horns, which are the ten kingdoms, saw there are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour. <clears throat> As kings with the beast, this will make these will make war with the lamb. The lamb being Jesus, and Jesus will overcome them, for He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And those who are with Him are called chosen and faithful. And then Daniel says in verse forty-four that God will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, a kingdom that will endure forever. He says this kingdom becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. This is the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. I like how Roy Steadman described it. He said, Jesus is the stone that comes striking suddenly into the affairs of mankind. God once again intervening dramatically in history to destroy all that man has built through the centuries. The entire structure of civilization collapses and crumbles By the impact of this mighty stone, and the stone turns to fill the entire earth. This clearly introduces the millennial kingdom, 1,000 years rule and reign of Jesus Christ. The literal kingdom of God is described in many places in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2 says In the last days, the mountains of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. He will judge between the nations and he will settle disputes for many persons. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Daniel finished with his interpretation of the dream. The king literally came off his throne and onto the floor. Verse 46 says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense unto him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the king of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. And then the king promoted Daniel, and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the entire province of ba- Babylon. And chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Not only was Daniel not killed. But he was given a promotion. He was made the chief administrator over all the wise men. But not only that Nebuchadnezzar himself. Admitted that Daniel's God was the God of all gods. Now I don't want you to think that, Dan, that Nebuchadnezzar is saved at this point. We're going to see uh, in things that he does later that that is not true. But he does recognize the God of Israel as a mighty God. I just want to close with a thought concerning Daniel's being placed over all the wise men of Babylon. Think for a moment. One of the familiar parts of the Christmas story is the story of the wise men found in Matthew chapter 2 how did these wise men know about the prophecies concerning the birth of a king I believe Daniel opened up the Hebrew scriptures and he taught them about the true God and his coming king his son let's bow for prayer Father thank you for each one that's been here tonight and their attentiveness I pray, Lord, that you would use uh, your word tonight to encourage us that uh, things are not out of control. We not may not be in control, but you are. That you knew before anything ever happened what was going to happen. And even now, we are in your hands. So we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to find strength and encouragement in that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.